0: Ginger relives the battle up to the time of death. She smells, feels, hears every detail. She pays close attention because all of it matters. Any small piece of information from the scene could be useful later. Would you like to send a message home? Ginger asks, coming back to herself. A young soldier shares a message for his mother, his brother, his sweetheart. Ginger, anchored by her friends in a circle around her, wakes from the seance and checks in with her physical form her soul is weary and barely tethered to herself. It's been a long shift. Later, as she reports to her superiors and strolls outside with her fiancé, Captain Benjamin Harford, we learn that Ginger is a medium and part of the British Spirit Corps, a special and very top-secret force that collects information from recently deceased soldiers in order to defeat the Germans." When Ginger and Ben are tasked with uncovering a traitor in their midst, they must fight to save the Spirit Corps and all its secrets before the Germans discover the truth and weaponize it for themselves. What follows is a tense World War I mystery layered with the supernatural and plenty of historical details in Ghost Talkers by Mary Robinette Kowal.
1: Welcome to He Read, She Read, the podcast where a couple of married bookworms discuss what they're reading and learning. Today, we're discussing ghost talkers. I'm Curtis.
0: And I'm Chelsea. Here at He Read, She Read, we're big proponents of reading in community with one another. We publish bi-weekly episodes on the second and fourth weeks of each month, and every other month, one of those is a book club-style discussion between the two of us, like we have today. At the end of March, we're discussing The Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare. That's right. Curtis is reading a romance novel. Make sure you're following us on Instagram for Buddy Read News and other announcements at He Read, She Read.
1: You can also get in touch with us via email at podcast at gmail.com. If you're enjoying He Read, She Read, please take a few minutes to write a review on Apple Podcasts to help more bookworms find our show. We're close to 200 reviews and would love to reach that soon. Another great way to share the show is sending your friends a link or posting about us on social media. So Chelsea, let's get started and discuss Ghost Talkers.
0: I think first we should talk about how we even found this book, because it's not like a New York Times bestseller or a book-to-screen adaptation. It's not like it's one of the more popular fantasy books, and it's a standalone, which I think is rare.
1: Yeah, normally in this type of, like if you see a Hugo Award winner, and especially from this publishing Company, it's gonna be a series and not just the one novel. I don't actually know how we found this novel.
0: Um, I first saw it when I was scrolling Goodreads one day, and I noticed that two of your favorite fantasy authors wrote reviews for this book, and they wrote glowing reviews. I think it was Sanderson and maybe Rothfuss.
1: Yeah, uh, Brandon Sanderson is the cover. Blurb, and then I think there is also one in here from, yep, from Patrick Roth, this as well. So that would make sense.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just thought that the premise sounded interesting. And I'm not much of a fantasy reader, but I do love historical fiction. And you're not much of a historical fiction reader, but you love history and fantasy. Mm -hmm. So this seems like it might combine a lot of our interests. And then those blurbs are really what. Made me think this could be a good body read, though. So sometimes you really do randomly find a book scrolling on the internet like that.
1: Well, and when we have got all the way through the acknowledgements, uh, one of the people that she talks about is Scott Lynch, who wrote yes. the Gentleman Bastards fa- fantasy books that I really enjoy.
0: Yeah, another one of your favorites.
1: Which I hope it's him, because Scott Lynch isn't exactly like... Uh... It's At not like everybody's name
0: <laughs> Scott <Lynch>. <laughs> <laughs> We're
1: going to hope it's that guy.
0: Well, I mean, you will typically find like circles of writers in the same genre who sort of send their stuff to each other or hang out. Writing is a very solitary activity, so you've got to have people to bounce ideas off of. So mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yep. So typically, we start our buddy reads by giving some historical and literary context to the book because that's just us. We're nerds. We can't help it. Um, this will not be a spoiler-free discussion, but um, the history and background and the literary influences will I'll be spoiler free and then we'll get into the plot and then at the end of the episode we'll give some book recommendations so if you really want to read this and not get spoilers you can listen to the beginning and end of this episode um otherwise if you don't want to read the book at all but you want to learn about world war one and hear us talk about the book i think the episode will work for you too so curtis you're the history guy
1: that is me Um, So this book takes place uh, during the Battle of the Somme in World War I, um, or the First World War, depending on how you want to
0: How fancy you want to be.
1: Talk about it that way. (laughs) Um, So that took place uh, in northern France um, on both banks of the Somme River, which is in the northern part of France. uh, Pitted the British Empire and the French Republic against the Germans, or if you were reading the book, the Huns. I love it when anybody calls the German Huns. (laughs) I don't know. I just think it's hilarious. Um, So it started in July and went until November of 1916. The book Ghost Talkers takes place um, from the second week of July until September during a specific part of the Battle of the Somme for Delville Wood. Uh, It's the largest battle of the First World War's Western Front with more than 3 million participants and 1 million soldiers were either wounded or killed which makes it one of the bloodiest battles in human history. Um, and it's significant because it was part of the World War I trends where it's the first modern war where you see technology, poison gas, tanks, planes. And the Somme was one of those first opportunities where they were deadlocked in the trenches. They needed something in to break the stalemate. And then they started relying on a lot of the new technology, which is why they saw a lot of the casualties, because the tactics hadn't caught up. Um, something else from historical background, which we'll get into from things that I liked about the book was a famous author participated in, in the battle on the side of the British empire. J.R.R. Tolkien, um, was a lieutenant at the time, fought in the battle of the Somme and lost a bunch of his friends, was eventually evacuated for medical issues and used the trench warfare from the battle uh, that he called animal horror and based a lot of his battle scenes, specifically the Battle of Helm's Deep, which I consider one of the better battle scenes from the entire Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit on his time during the Somme. So let's see. that's pretty much all for the historical context, um, and it pretty aligns with the way that the story flows. I tried to do a little bit of investigation into like the espionage and the spy tactics because that's a big part of the story. A lot of info on that isn't really apparent and um, surviving to history. A lot of that stuff, records wise, was destroyed during the Second World War with bombing runs both in England and Germany. So records that they would have kept about spy activities during the First World War didn't survive the Second World War.
0: I have been reading more books about espionage in World War One and World War II like historical fiction but those authors are at the library with you know history scholars getting their resources It's not a lot of information that's just widely available on the internet um, but if you're really that fascinated, I think it's possible to dig deep if you go into some archives and get a historian's help. Mm-hmm. But I'll get into a little bit of history stuff, too. I like to talk about sort of the literary context of the books. Now, this book is written, you know, modern day, looking back, as historical fiction. But I think taking a look at the World War I literary influences and what they were writing about at the time is really important because um, Mary Robinette Qual used a lot of research from the literature of the time to write this book. And something that really comes across, I think, in her writing is information about PTSD from the First World War. Uh, back then it was known as shell shock. They did not have nearly the depth of knowledge that we do about it today, but uh, troops from World War One were the first to be formally diagnosed with shell shock, with this thing, at least that we know of in the Western sphere. So it's not like PTSD didn't exist before World War I, obviously it did, but uh, this was sort of the first time that it was getting noticed by the medical community, especially in soldiers. And it was originally thought to be a physical injury, like a concussion. They thought that just because of the trauma and the brain injuries from literally getting your helmet knocked around and dealing with explosions nearby, that that was what it was, but then eventually um, they sort of grouped it under a nervous disorder and started to try and figure that out. So World War I literature, especially from authors who were on the front, explored a lot of the emotional and psychological impacts of the war on um, themselves and people through writing and creating characters that went through these things. So Uh, the written word just has a really good way of exploring the psychology like that, that sometimes, you know, the doctors couldn't communicate. So a big part of the book is also poetry. One of the main characters uses poems as code and ciphers, and poets have always explored death since the dawn of time. This is a case where there was so much death to explore, and The deaths were so jarring because, like you said, there was all of this new technology available that made mass death possible compared to other wars um, where you didn't have gas to drop or machine guns. And so just the vastness of the terrors of this war were significantly more brutal than anything anyone had ever seen. So, of course, that's going to translate in the literature. I think Kowal did a good job of translating that in her book, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, But on a slightly lighter note, um, because we're already getting so heavy with this, there were some good literary references throughout the book. One that stood out to me is Ginger, the main character, gets called an obstinate, headstrong girl, and that's a reference to Elizabeth Bennet from Pride and Prejudice. And uh, you can kind of see that Kual really admires Austin heroines because I could see some of those similarities throughout the book. And there are lots of books mentioned. Um, Kual notes at the end that these were all real. She read them. They were used for ciphers and codes. And she recommends a few of them to the reader. So there were a lot of literary references that I really enjoyed.
1: Yeah. I didn't actually check and see if any of those were real but
0: yeah, they are. She did her, she did her background research, that's for sure.
1: Homework was conducted.
0: So, uh, let's talk general impressions. What did you think of the book overall?
1: Um, I think I broke it down with the big positive good trade craft and good ghost craft between Hmm. the two things. So I like fantastical elements. Um, not a lot of stuff dealing with mediums, but I'm a big supernatural show guy. And then, Some of the books that I read deal with some of the...
0: Supernatural, the TV show.
1: Yes. But yeah, so similarities and good use of ghosts and then the use of codes and book ciphers. A lot of that stuff is good timeline-wise as far as actually being used during the First World War. The characters I liked, and we've already established that we're not spoiler-free... I thought it was a bold move that they killed Ben so early but then his use as a ghost I really loved because it is a emotional you know I don't want to use the word experience because it feels like it it doesn't do it justice but the fact that Ginger has to simultaneously process the fact that he's dead and then help him to try to Solve the mystery behind his murder and then try to figure out how to help him pass along to the next life is all emotional trauma that I love.
0: Well, and I just thought it was such a great metaphor for what people went through at that time at large. You, particularly soldiers, you would have your best friend die in the trenches next to you, but you have to carry on fighting. You can't just curl up in a ball and stay there if you want to move forward and do your duty. Yeah. And um, so that came across really significantly.
1: It's kind of significant that she used Tolkien as an example because when a lot of his works came out around World War II, everybody was thinking that there was parallels between that conflict and his writing and he said that that is wasn't true because he was really going off of his own experience. A quote that Tolkien had was One has indeed personally to come under the shadow of war to feel fully its oppression. But as the years go by, it seems now often forgotten that to be caught in youth by 1914 was no less hideous an experience than to be involved in 1939 and the following years. By 1918, all but one of my close friends were dead. Mm. And his unit, um, by the time he got pulled out of France uh, and got it back to England, was almost completely, entirely wiped out. So he saw that conflict and that death firsthand, and I think that was one of the bigger points that Mary Robinette Kowal was able to capture fully was, you know, a million people were killed in this battle. So there's, and I kind of like the parallels between you have new technology and new tactics to deal with the changing war, and then how they're using kind of the medium as a supernatural technology, if you will, as the way that they're spinning the craft in the story.
0: Yeah, I really liked the book too. And what I've learned about fantasy as a genre for me is that I prefer a setting that is familiar. And some people will say, well, every fantasy setting is like based on something. So it's usually Familiar in some ways to someone. But I like a setting that is either historically familiar, like this, or like a place that already exists in the real world, but then elements are added onto it. So I prefer, I guess, like a real world story with fantasy elements rather than full high fantasy. Um, and so this really is in my genre zone of fantasy that I like. I enjoyed the characters. Honestly, I had a really hard time keeping track of a lot of the side characters because they popped in so quickly and their names were all super similar. Uh, A lot of the times they are just using last names, which I don't think are as memorable. And it just, I was starting to get a little bit confused with the side characters just because of how quickly they were popping up.
1: Right. And you're not sure like when one of them is going to pop back up. Or if they are or not, so you don't know how much attention to pay to, to them.
0: Yeah, but I did really enjoy Ginger and Ben's relationship and their character arc together. I loved the group of mediums that Ginger worked with and the people who were close to her. I thought that their relationships were really sweet and the theme of sort of community behind that and the way that they took care of each other and took care of her was just wonderful i thought that was really well written
1: i thought most of the other like military characters were very glossed over and not most of like the villains in the story i found like almost cartoonish in like their over i don't know i don't want to say it was like overdone patriarchal but
0: your experience with the modern military and working with women is different correct so you don't necess- you ha- i don't know that you've necessarily read a lot of books like this where
1: no and i think a lo- the central focus of like one of the main villains is the general who's in charge and doesn't want to listen to anybody and is essentially a buffoon i just felt like that was not overdone but you- it was hard to take him seriously as a villain because he was just so obviously like too far to the extreme of like unable to adapt
0: Mm, Yeah, I might have a different opinion about that. I I think that he was flat. Like, I think, like you said, a lot of the more military characters or the side characters were kind of flat. Like, they didn't have a lot of personality. I don't think they needed to because they were serving more as plot points than as people. Yeah, not the central focus. But I think that his resistance to Ginger, his resistance especially to Helen taking charge... uh. I think that that is likely historic, very historically accurate. Probably. So, uh, should we get into characters since we're already veering that way anyway? Sure. I think we should probably start with Ginger because she's our leading lady here. Well, you
1: already established that she's in line with an Elizabeth Bennet type. So I see why you guys got along.
0: Yes. It's the running joke is that she's really stubborn (laughs) and...
1: Well, she's an American.
0: She, Well, yes. And I think that that worked really well here because I think it worked that she was able to have a little bit of a freer worldview and that she had these uh, this take-charge attitude that we do typically associate with, like, oh, well, the Americans coming in here and, like, <laughs> <laughs> running all over us. Um, and in a lot of these stories... Britain is seen as like this is these are the traditions, this is how we've always done things and this is how we're always going to do them. And America is the world of new and new ideas and, you know, new money and uh sort of the scrappy people. And those are stereotypes of course, but that's often how those two countries are sort of pitted against each other in a lot of historical fiction and television and movies, I think. And so I think that's part of why it works so well for Ginger to be an American and come into this world as a little bit of an outsider. and Yeah. But she has a rich aunt and she's no stranger to like London society. So, (laughs) Um, but I enjoyed her sassiness and her stubbornness. But I also felt like it was realistic for the time. Like, she often recognized her constraints and tried to work sort of within them. It's not like she was completely going against tradition. She and her relationship with Ben was very, like, traditional and, um, like, followed the rules of the time. It's not like they were making out around the corner at the office or anything. (laughs) They kept a lot of propriety and... She, when she's traveling, she recognizes the need for a chaperone, and yet she's operating within this world, but she's essentially a le- a major leader. So I thought that was interesting.
1: I think it's just my inexperience with the genre. But like the first couple chapters, I was I was thinking, oh, she's a little bit too modern. But then you're right when they're talking about her and Ben's relationship, and then the interaction that she has. Yeah, I think that was off base for me to say that. I think it reflects accurately how the times were.
0: And if you learn about the female spies of the time, it is that thing of they had to work with the constraints constraints on their gender in order to get the information that they needed, which is part of why female spies were so useful in World War One and World War II is that people didn't suspect them mm-hmm. of being spies or didn't expect that women could do that. And so I think that we see that with her is people underestimate her and that often plays to her advantage. What did you think of her relationship with Ben?
1: So Ben I liked, and it's
0: He's a captain. You get <laughs> it. <laughs> get it. He's just trying
1: to do his job, but then also get a little bit of the hanky panky.
0: Like, a very little bit. He really just wants to kiss ginger on the cheek most of the time. What? I would have been here for more sexy times, so I'm just saying. It's not that kind of book. I know.
1: Um. Yeah, That's for
0: I'm, our next buddy read.
1: Oh, yeah. I never even <laughs> talked about the romance that I'm going to have to read. Um. I liked him. I feel like at the beginning, he's focused on his job and doing all those things. He's a real advocate for the spiritualism and the mediums and all those facets of it where it made the money for me was when we make the transition from he's alive and doing all these things to he's dead he's a ghost ben as a ghost i loved that relationship because it's this delicate balance of he is connected to this realm but he's also trying to move off and do other things and it's that balance that ginger has of trying to keep him here long enough to solve his murder and move on and then also sometimes going the other direction where she's like leaving her body and going into the spiritual realm to be with him and spends more time being close to him
0: and he has like a vendetta or he has a purpose that he has to fulfill before he goes off into what do they say like across the veil or something like that
1: that's an essential port in any Good ghost story is he's got to have a quest that keeps him here.
0: I was annoyed with him at first because... When he was alive or dead? um, Alive. Because of his comments to Ginger of like, well, you can't do that. You're a lady. (laughs) But I also, then again, like I said, historically accurate. You know, whatever. But he bugged me a little bit when he was getting a little bit too overprotective or um uh, you know underestimating her a little bit but she pushes back at him and I think that he learns and comes to you know rely on her more and gets a little bit better about her independence throughout the course of the book I it was tough. I it, You don't know him long enough to be sad when he initially dies.
1: No, and I thought it was going a different direction originally. Like, I thought when that other captain turns up dead that we were going to find out that Ben's the like a murderer and like a double agent spy.
0: It is set up that way a little bit, which yeah. I think is smart.
1: Yeah, because that's the direction that I was going down. And then I don't think we're meant to like him originally. And then we see the problems and the stress that he has with trying to like the comfort that people have with just accepting death is something that I took a while to wrap your head around. But,
0: but yeah, I, if you can put yourself in that time, it makes a little more sense. The comfort with the death you're seeing, like the mediums, how they're just like, no, like, taking reports and going about their business. Even or? the
1: reports were like, none of the ghosts are really like freaking out that they're dead. It's very much like, oh yeah, yeah, I was this doing this, and now I'm dead. Same, yeah. same with Ben. He's just like, yeah, well, yeah, I was here, and then I got garroted.
0: Yeah, I guess there is a little bit of that element. I I didn't think too much of it because they did do a thorough job of explaining that the soldiers were trained to report in. And treat it as part of their duty. Yeah. So, and I also just think all of those men thought they were going to die anyway. So the expected happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for Ben, I do think that the longer he sticks around and the longer we see inside his and Ginger's relationship, his death is more of a presence in his own, you know, soul and throughout the book and by the end I was pretty sad
1: the more unhinged he gets the more I enjoyed the story
0: yeah it's I kind of saw a lot of metaphors and everything which is probably just me reading into things too far but I thought that sort of his leaving his humanity behind reflected also like the longer that you stay in this war you're gonna lose your humanity too so like the longer that he stayed in the spirit realm he kept forgetting things and forgetting himself and forgetting that he was a person and i think that that's probably what was happening to the soldiers on the battlefield as well Mm -hmm. the longer that you're in the trenches and you're killing each other by these horrible gases, and mm-hmm. well, not even seeing who you're killing, you're gonna lose your humanity.
1: Tolkien called it the animal horror.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the rest of the mediums. I th- the old couple.
1: Adorable. How cute were they? Adorable. Um,
0: and Helen, I thought was a really interesting character, and I thought that the way that Kowal incorporated her background into the novel was really interesting.
1: I could have used more of her.
0: I agree. I would have loved more Helen. So the first thing about Helen is she's the one who invents the process for the soldiers to report into the mediums. She's like the mastermind behind the whole thing. Logistical genius. And she doesn't get the credit for it because she's not white and it's the early 1900s. Mm-hmm not that she would necessarily get all the credit for it now, let's be honest, but um, she is part of the group of mediums that they recruited from around the world, so they reference that they've got a group from the Caribbean, um, and this group of mediums is not allowed in the same housing as the others, Ginger talks about that, she sort of makes some missteps when she almost tries to invite Helen out dancing, and then she's like, oh no wait, you're not allowed, I remember now, and but I just would have loved more Helen. She was a great character. I loved her friendship with Ginger. We just don't get enough of her because she's not allowed to go on the adventures because of her race, which is really crappy all around. But it sucks to have such a great character that's left in the background like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I like the structure where you have a couple of the sensitive mediums coupled with other non-sensitives in the circle for grounding purposes, but it would have been cool if there was just like the squad of mediums (laughs) that was going out on to do the investigation instead of just Helen uh, or sorry, instead of just ginger, because then we could have seen a little bit more of that dynamic Mm -hmm. between her and Helen. And I feel like we would have enjoyed it. Um, I kind of liked the dichotomy of that where, Ginger's trying to be in, or is a little bit in both of those worlds, where she's the socialite that does all these things with predominantly white society, and then she has a lot of friends who are this are in the medium community that aren't necessarily welcome in that other group, and then it's same thing with okay, we're in the world of the living, but we deal with a lot of things with the dead. Mm-hmm. So that little bit of back and forth comparison I liked because she's in both worlds, literally the. Our world in the world of the dead people and then also her group that she works with and is friends with it doesn't isn't necessarily the group that she is socializing with because of her status
0: and this is this time period of history is when class and status got real shaken up across europe in general so it makes a lot of sense that she would have that and you know that when she goes back it's, it's Downton Abbey. <laughs> Watch Downton Abbey and you you know what happens after World War One. People come back and the, you know, society is crumbling. There isn't this, like, the upper classes having to grapple with the changes that are being made. So let's, we touched on this a little bit, but the villains, which it's still, like, I don't think I could tell you except for one exactly who the villains were. There were, you... there were so many men to remember. <laughs> like, just so many random men that we maybe only saw for one scene.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you get the General Davies, who's the, you know, token patriarchal, like, I'll, I'll say the word ass.
0: Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah,
1: and just unwilling to listen to Ginger and all of the suggestions that she has for helping with the Spirit Corps and His Way Highway, all those things. And then you have... Like the mysterious spy murderer that you're looking for, I liked that part of it where we're like going back to the front. We're trying to see who killed Ben. Ben's here. He's a ghost. I liked all that. The turning point for me was with Marrow when he turns up being a bad. Because I saw it coming. Well, he's played as such this meek character that you kind of anticipated there was going to be some sort of. He knows German and And he he
0: knows whatever that fighting thing was oh
1: that fighting thing is called bartitsu
0: yeah which what is, is that?
1: so it's based on well, in the story he got it from reading sherlock holmes uh-huh. little novelettes but it's a combination of hold on i don't want to get all these right because i looked it up it is like one part cage or no not cage cane fighting so you have like sticks. Uh huh. Um, there is boxing, jujitsu, and then French kickboxing. And so it's in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story of Sherlock Holmes. So you're like, that part I kind of got on along with because it's like, oh, you have the shy guy who's like meek and weak. And then all of a sudden yeah. he's kicking people's butts because he learned about it in a Sherlock Holmes book. But I didn't need him to end up being the bad guy.
0: I know such lengths were taken to get us to like him, but I guess maybe that's a proper construction of a mystery that just when we start to enjoy him as a character, we're like, oh, wait, never mind. (laughs) I did love all of the mentions of Sherlock Holmes. And who else did they talk about?
1: No, Sherlock was the big one that I Mm. think of.
0: But they were talking about him like going around and sort of spreading the gospel of spiritualism and how it was like a fake out thing where like Holmes and his associates were going around at that time, which historically accurate, yes, they were going around and having these fake seances and they were making this big deal of spiritualism so that the public would think, oh, this is just all fakery and nonsense and a bit of fun when really the army was using it as a war strategy it's all a ruse so i thought that layering was really fascinating Mm -hmm. and interesting
1: i could have used more depth with like the german spirit core, as like yes if that had been more developed and we had like a big bad who is a german medium like we get a, a little bit of that but it's not very delved out I would have enjoyed that more where like they're having confrontations like in the spirit realm and this is somebody that you're going against. Um, that one I could have gotten a little bit on board with.
0: Here's what I think. I love a standalone because I'm not always a big fan of series. I just never want to devote the time to them. But this would have been a really good trilogy with this plot split into three different books.
1: I 100% agree.
0: So like the first book we get Ginger and Ben maybe courting more and getting engaged by the end and sort of, like, the development of the spirit core and, like, the first inklings of Mm -hmm. German things. And then
1: there's the murder.
0: And then the second book is when Ben dies because you're already super attached to him from the first one, so think about how devastating that would have been. And then they go through it. So I just – I think it might have been two or three books spread out might have given it more breathing room for us to learn what we needed to to fully grab. because by the end of the book – the end battle scene, I had a hard time picturing in my mind. Yeah, I that, about came, you.
1: that came up very abruptly and I didn't really.
0: And it just felt like we had this. I liked the pacing of it and then we got to the end and it was like, this is what happened. This is what we need to do. But we're done. So the pacing felt off to me. But I love a mystery.
1: While the mystery was going on, I enjoyed the mystery. Yes. When we had a little bit of the reveal, it felt like it felt a li- little flat.
0: Yeah. So, okay, here are some of the other plot and theme things that I really liked. I really liked how they dealt with PTSD in the book and made it a point that it wasn't just the soldiers, but anybody who worked in the war could have PTSD. Yeah. You could be a nurse and have PTSD from the trauma that you experienced. Uh, Ginger kind of experiences secondary PTSD, Because she's living the experiences of the war through the soldiers. And I just think about that time for women. Your sweetheart or your significant other or your father your brother comes home from war and has shell shock. The doctors don't know how to treat it. Who's going to absorb all of that energy, emotion, angst? The women who are taking care of the soldiers when they come home and I think that was reflected in the novel really well that there's got to be someone to absorb that and sort of the the empathy there the way that Ginger could read people's auras was interesting to me and I wonder if Kuala had like a code for the auras of what everything was I didn't notice them repeating but I didn't notice the colors repeating at all Mm -mm. But uh, as someone really empathetic who sometimes wishes she could be less empathetic and, like, not have to notice people's emotions all the time, I related to Ginger getting really drained from constantly absorbing people's emotions right. and moods. And
1: especially because you're encountering them at the time of their death, which yeah. is some of the most traumatic Yikes. experience of their life, which mm-hmm. yeah, goes without saying. But that takes... A heavy toll like they're talking about mediums that have completely disengaged from their bodies and how to deal with that so it's i think that was the theme that i most identified with mainly because i don't have a lot of connection to like spiritualism or mediums as far as like other pop cultural or books that i read yeah. um i did like the connection with humanity where like you talked about earlier where the longer that you're spending in war and in conflict and especially in this case where millions of people are just battering rams going against each other it's easy to lose your humanity in that arena but the connection that she has with her friends and then with her fiance um i really liked how we saw that through ginger
0: And the so we brought this up briefly, but that her circle, it was usually her and Helen were the mediums. And then the rest of the people were not mediums. They were just people who were firmly grounded in the real world. And that physical touch from the people who were grounded in the real world to bring you back... I also just think that's such a war metaphor Mm -hmm. of in order to get yourself through that, in order to come back to yourself, you have to have one, whether it's physical or not, you have to have the thoughts of back home. You have to have the thoughts of the real people in your life and that reality to come back to. Mm -hmm. And I would like to think that Koal had all of those layers intentionally. If she didn't, it all came together beautifully, but... Uh, I think that all of that layering was really smart.
1: Mm-hmm. I think she did a great job with that.
0: Yeah. So I would read more by her. I would too. Um, she has a book series that is like uh, Jane Austen, but with supernatural powers. Okay.
1: So, so like A Abe Lincoln vampire hunter thing?
0: Um. No, I think that glamour is the power where you can like bend reality and i don't know i'll link the series in the show notes but it sounds pretty good so i would definitely read more by her um i really liked this one and i think that i would recommend it to people who like historical fiction and fantasy but it's not one that i like feel like everybody should read
1: no and it's A rare thing where i'll say this needs to be more books and should be longer Mm -hmm. but i feel like some of the stuff could have used a little bit more exploration but overall i enjoyed it right it was good
0: yeah i liked it a lot so let's get into our book recommendations and
1: these are all you babe like this
0: no but the first one is a set of books that you own i found them but you they're on your shelves
1: no i haven't touched them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that'll be part of the did we reveal how many of my books i haven't read
0: oh no i forgot <laughs> whoops i wonder if people listen that's i don't think that's the first time that happens i wonder if people listen and just think i'm so flaky because i say we're gonna do something and then i just forget about it
1: well this will count as one of the books that i have on the shelf but haven't
0: read um it's the regeneration series by pat barker and it's about world war one and And through sort of these, like, supernatural elements, she's exploring the psychological effects. So, and I think it's kind of like Ghost Talkers in that there are fictional characters and events with real ones. It's supposed to be really, really good. Uh, Just to give you an idea, Curtis, because I know star ratings are your thing. It's a 4.03 rating on Goodreads, which is pretty good. That's pretty good and the review the reviews are great um but yeah it's supposed to be really well done um i i think it's definitely a comparison title to ghost talkers so i think you have all of them like in paperback
1: i think so they're on there somewhere
0: um i'll run through my recommendations and maybe you'll think of something (laughs) Testament of Youth by Vera Britton is a memoir, so this is nonfiction about World War One, and it's been sitting on my shelf for like five years, I think. And I still haven't read it. It's really long, and that's why. But I think maybe it'll be the next nonfiction that I pick up just to sort of stay in the realm of World War One. Sometimes if I read about a topic, I like to stay there for a little bit and learn more. It's supposed to be one of the best memoirs of all time, but it's a really, really important exploration of World War One and not just what it did to the soldiers, but an entire generation of people and how the generation, the young generation of, you know, 18 year olds or younger if they lied about their age to go into the war and then either coming back or just their gen. Generations basically decimated how that impacted everybody. I think Vera Britton might have been a nurse too, um, but I will read that one and report back someday. <laughs> the Maisie Dobbs series I've recommended before, it's a series of mysteries. It's after World War One. However, Maisie Dobbs was a nurse during World War One, and so a lot of her experiences throughout the series hinge on that, and she's got a lot of flashbacks. Um, I really enjoyed Last Christmas in Paris by Hazel Gaynor and Heather Webb. Listened to that one a couple of years ago. Yeah, it says Christmas, but I think you could read it at any time and enjoy it. Really good on audio because there are like four voice actors on the book reading for each of the different characters. And I really like when that comes together. And then lastly, The Alice Network by Kate Quinn. If anyone has not read this yet, it's one of my favorite books. There are different timelines, so there is a post-World War II timeline and later, but the big timeline that is really fascinating is World War I, female spy. So a lot of the stuff that was in this book was actually slightly familiar to me from the Alice Network and mm-hmm. sort of rang true to that. So that's definitely one to check out if you're interested in more of the spy stuff of World War I, particularly women's role in all of that espionage.
1: That's the one that seems interesting
0: the Atlas network. Mm-hmm. I I actually think that you would probably really like it. We're going to we're going to get you reading some more historical fiction by women maybe.
1: <laughs> I met my goal last year for Yeah, books by it's women.
0: you your horizons are expanding, Curtis. Uh, did you have any World War 1 stuff to recommend? Nope. We haven't seen 1917 yet.
1: No, but I've heard it's fantastic.
0: So, I feel like we should see it after reading this book mm-hmm. because it's just like i said when you're in a realm of learning about something you kind of want to keep doing that mm-hmm. i don't know we'll see maybe it's playing this weekend
1: and i'm still more of a high fantasy fan so because it's been said so many times if you haven't read tolkien read tolkien come on
0: does he have any uh nonfiction or shorter stuff that would be interesting to read
1: i mean the hobbit's not that long
0: I don't know how long *The Hobbit* is.
1: Like maybe 200 pages, three. Really? It's not that bad. Cimmerilian's even shorter, but I think he's only ever written high fantasy stuff. I don't think he ever has anything nonfiction or shorter. But.
0: I like reading about Tolkien. I just didn't like Tolkien when I picked him up. Would it make your day if I?
1: I'm not that big of. Uh, I'm not a Stephen Colbert something? like. Tolkien head or Tolkienite or whatever he calls himself, but like that's not as much of a thing that would like get me going <laughs> if you were to pick up Tolkien, you know. But yeah, I, I feel like everybody should. I'd feel better if you watch the movies.
0: I would rather read than watch the movies. Oh, that makes me sad. <laughs>
1: the movies are so
0: good. If we if you really want to do a Tolkien buddy read, I would. Mm. And then maybe I would watch one of the movies. But if I fall asleep, it's not my fault.
1: Uh, I would just watch them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll think about it.
1: <laughs> um, okay. Reminder that our upcoming buddy read is The Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare. For news and announcements, you can connect with us on social media or via email. Twitter and Instagram, we at HeReadSheRead. Or you can email Podcast at gmail.com. You can find show notes for this episode at HeReadSheRead.org under podcast.
0: Thank you all so much for listening and remember the couple that reads together.
1: If we're going to I burped. <laughs> Does that one stay in? <laughs> that, might be, that might be the one that stays in.
0: <laughs> I, well, I want to know what you came up with, so I'll try it again.
1: If we're going you know, <laughs> to. We'll so. <soak, laughs>
0: Ready? Yeah. I <laughs> can't do it without laughing now. <laughs> Thank you all for listening, and remember the couple that reads together.
1: We'll so totally turn into a ghost and haunt each other.